Now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi, I'm Tony Joe. I've been working in Victoria here as a real estate agent since 1991, and I've seen 26 years of very interesting times. The market goes up, the market goes down. It has definitely been in an upward cycle for the past year or so, uh, and there's always a lot of conversation about real estate, not only locally here, but talking about things like uh, mortgage changes and government uh, intervention, uh, foreign investor tax, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, we've got a great show for you today. Uh, first of all, uh, we have with us here in the studio, Angie Hill. Angie is a realtor with Remax Camosun. What makes her very special, though, is she is a buyer specialist, so she only works with people who are looking to buy properties. We'll talk more about that a little later. Um, But we will also have a couple of segments, uh, one-on-one with local developer Mike Miller from Abstract Developments. We'd like to learn more about his thoughts about Greater Victoria, uh, properties, uh, affordability, uh, and basically what it it takes to be a a prolific developer as Mike is. Uh, But as I normally do, I'm opening up here with a question that came to us this week. Uh, if you have any questions about real estate or are curious about what's going on out there or have bumped into a situation that you'd like to talk about and have us bring up on air, just look through, look for us at cfax1070.com, submit your question, and I'll bring it up at our next um, show. So from Lane, uh, Lane says, I've heard, that a no- sorry, I've heard that an offer can be structured to say $1,000 over the highest offer. But my agent says that's illegal. Is that true? Okay, so this comes up uh, quite often. Maybe Angie can jump in uh, uh, as you need to here. Of course, in a market like this right now where we are in a highly competitive marketplace, let's face it, inventory level is very low right now. Anything or, or almost anything in certain areas or certain uh, segments are bumping into competing or competitive offer situations. That means uh, three or four offers in addition to your own. Angie, you just said, I mean, you, you made, uh, you've made offers over the weekend. How many competitors have you bumped into? On average, six. Yeah. Um, upwards of 10 to 12 yeah. um, per, per offer. Yeah, so the, we'll, we're going to be talking about yeah. this. So that is basically a buyer's nightmare. Because you might find a house that you fall in love with, uh, and as it turns out, you need to fight for it. So, uh, again, going back to Lane's question, this is something uh, called a referential offer. So, um, you may think as a buyer, hey, I'm going to add this little clause here that says, I am willing to pay $1,000 more than the highest offer. Uh, so, uh, Lane's uh, question was, is it illegal? Well, Here's the thing. Because it is a referential offer, it means that uh, the offer refers to another contract. And uh, technically speaking, a, a contract, like contract of purchase and sale, has to be able to stand by itself without reference to any other offers. Um, so basically what happens here is unless, if there are no other offers, then this referential offer really means nothing, right? And I, I can ask you, Angie, I know this question because I know you. Like, do you do referential offers? No, I don't. It's, uh, I have in the past, I shouldn't say I don't right off the bat. I have in the past, and I have to say a lot of times they're rejected. Uh, It's not a level playing field for all the other people that are willing to put price down. What are you willing to pay? And it's not answering that question. It's not. And, And the other thing, too, is 
if you were that buyer and if you were adding that clause, you would want to see what the other offers are. And of course, from the seller's perspective, they don't want that information public. I mean, it is, it's rules of engagement here. Correct. Right. And, and frankly, the way things are structured right now in a market like this, uh, it is, it is truly a seller's market. So um, to have multiple offers, that is, uh, that's the situation there. But going back, again, just wrapping up with Lane's question here, um, yes, referential offers, we do see them. Uh, they are not supported, by the way, by uh, council, by the British Columbia Real Estate uh, uh, Council. Um, for someone like myself, who is a listing agent, I take care of sellers all the time. Whenever I have an offer that comes in that is referential, um, we just sort of laugh. I mean, first of all, uh, truly experienced and uh, reputable agents do not use re- um, referential offers. You agree with that? I right? completely agree. Yeah. And uh, the other thing, too, is to me, if an agent is saying that they're willing to pay $1,000 more than the highest offer, they'll often put in a, a, um, a clause there that says uh, up to... $800,000. That's well, what I was going to say is how do you know what the highest offer is? It could be 300000 over ask and then you're 300000 plus ask plus $1,000. Yeah. In who's going to accept that? So how I read it as a listing agent is if you're going to say uh, I'd be willing to pay $1,000 more up to say uh, $800,000, it tells me that you're willing to pay $800,000 or right. $801,000. Right? So if that's the case, then why don't you just make your offer? Right. $801,000. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Lane, uh, hopefully that answers your question. Uh, but again, if you have, uh, you or any listener has any more questions about uh, the process here, and especially in a very complicated uh, negotiation market, uh, feel free to get in touch with us, cfax1070.com. So again, we have in the studio today with us uh, Angie Hill from Remax Camosun and local developer Mike Miller from Abstract Developments. Mike. Um, what have you seen in the past couple of days? Before we get into uh, our one-on-one session here, um, what comes to mind when, uh, I mean, obviously real estate is in your mind all the time. I know that as a fact. Uh, what have you bumped into recently? Real estate is a big part of my life. It has been um, uh, for many, many years. Um, I would say, as, as you already alluded, we're in an we're in a, a, a upward cycle. Um, it's definitely a, 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 a seller's market. And I would say in the last couple of days, I've seen a lot of what I've seen in the last year. And that's a very active, um, robust resale market, um, uh, continued upward pressure on pricing and, um, and obviously a shortage of inventory. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, see, you, you are a real estate investor as well. So you purchase properties, you know, you, you believe in the community here too. How do you feel about the atmosphere right now from a, from a buyer standpoint, for instance? Um, well, <clears throat> I would be less experienced than, than of course, Angie on that resale, um, uh, mom and pop white picket fence, uh, type of home, but certainly speaking on the new construction side, uh, which is primarily where we focus, um, there, there's, there's, um, there's a shortage of, of good quality inventory as well. So it's not just inventory, it's good quality inventory. And um, I find that it gives us a bit of a competitive advantage because our, uh, our mandate is to produce um, high-quality inventory regardless of the price range. We always try and target the best possible um, uh, market within that particular price range. Yeah, actually, and that's a really good point right now about low inventory and and quality product because what we are finding right now, and and I know Angie's going to nod her head too, is that right now, this is the kind of market where you can actually sell something that is is poor, 
Uh, we've seen a lot of properties where, where people are, they're not having to do their uh, touch-ups, repaints, uh, renovations. They're just putting on the market and, and, and they're typically moving, right? Correct. Even busy streets, you know, panhandle lots that people aren't really keen on. Uh, lots of different, you know, an inf- normal market would not sell. And they're selling for way above their ask. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a demonstration of the interest in the local marketplace here. Because people, I mean, the combination of a low inventory and the fact that there are people lining up to look at properties tells us that there's a lot of interest in the region here, right? It'd be a different story if there was no inventory and there was no pressure to buy. But yet people are wanting to buy. They're, they're wanting to move, right? Yeah, exactly. The uh, it's you know the standard uh, supply and demand is definitely uh, the supply is very low and demand is very very high, and so these this is what we're seeing in the prices skyrocketing and people are selling and capitalizing on this market as sellers, uh, but then they become homeless and sometimes they uh, can, you know, make a very fast decision to in my opinion, overpay mm-hmm. in some cases because well, um, they are homeless. They're desperate. They did sell, but where are they going to buy? Yeah. And, and we've, we've mentioned this before. So mm-hmm. there's, I think a lot of people right now want to move. People generally understand that it's not that difficult to sell today, but the big question is where are they going to go? Because it's not just inventory as far as uh, uh, real estate's concerned, but it's also rental inventory. There's nothing right. to find uh, for, for rent, so it's that whole cash 22. I mean, we've seen people who are temporarily living in mom and dad's basement. Right? RVs as well. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, so time to be creative in this local market. Anyways, uh, we're here again speaking with uh, local real- realtor and buyer agent specialist Angie Hill uh, and also Mike Miller from Abstract Developments. We're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe. Uh, here we are in the studio talking all things real estate. My guest right now is local realtor Angie Hill. Angie's with Remax Camosun. Uh, and in the vein of full disclosure, I have to say Angie does work on my team. She's been with me for many years. Uh, of course, who better to ask great questions to than someone I know very well? Uh, Angie has been licensed in real estate for 11 years, although you've been involved in real estate for years because I remember when you were working uh, as a support staff member at Remax Camosun uh, 19 years ago, right? That's right. Okay, so you've been around for a very long time. Uh, one of the things that makes you very special is the fact that you're what's known as a buyer agent. And I'd just like to explain this to the listeners right now. Uh most realtors that you would bump into uh, handle selling people's homes, uh, answering calls, doing advertisements, marketing, uh, open houses, and working with buyers. Uh, now, I, I was actually the first agent to have a buyer agent here in Greater Victoria back in 2004. And it was a very, um, uh, very unique uh, uh, premise because the idea was that we had team members that specialized in certain areas. So I was and I still remain a listing agent. I take care of properties for sellers. We have admin staff that takes care of uh, um, operations uh, in the company. And we have Angie Hill, who takes care only of buyers. Now, uh, Angie, Mm -hmm. you've always been a buyer agent too, come to think of it. Yes, I have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, So again, it definitely makes you an expert. Now, also, too, in a market like this right now, where we've already talked about is a strong seller's market, it also means that you've probably got one of the hardest jobs in real estate, right? I have to, I have to agree, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> and 
the reason why I say that, you know, in half joking is it's an emotional time in this market for buyers. Um, sometimes I feel like a counselor, a grievance counselor, um, someone holding a hand, giving them hugs, listening to them cry. It's a very, very competitive market. And when you are looking and working with families on a daily basis, trying to find a home for them to, you know, call home and have their children settled into a school. It's very emotional when that's just not coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, writing five and six contracts with a buyer is exhausting. You know, you lose it. Oh, we've lost it again. You know, we're not losing it by a dollar or a thousand dollars. We're losing it sometimes by hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And it's not because we don't know the market. It's not because we don't um, know what the average price in the area is. We advise in here is what the average sale is in the area. This is what this is worth. How much are you willing to pay? Mm -hmm. And there are just some people out there that are willing to pay a hundred over ask a hundred thousand that is, um, over ask because they have deep pockets and they, they don't, want to um, think about when our market does correct, yeah. uh, if it does, when it does. Um, my job, I feel, is number one is to advise um, our buyers in, uh, you know, what the trends are, what in five years, what's going to happen if you have to sell it in a year. Is the market still going to be here? I don't have a crystal ball, <laughs> obviously, yeah. to predict that, but I can say and look at the past and say, you know, when we do correct, what areas are going to correct and what, what, uh-huh. you know, what, uh, so what are the solid neighborhoods? That's a, that's a very important thing to be able to buy somebody. Exactly. Yeah. There are some weaker areas and born and raised here, um, as well does help, uh, ha- being a mom as well helps, uh, knowing the good schools, schools will sell a area <laughs> mm-hmm. 10 times. Um, also knowing the trends, there are more upcoming areas uh, that uh, I'm asked that all the time. What's the next big yeah. area? So, and, and the other thing that I, that I can announce, because I happen mm-hmm. to know this figure is our team, we do actually about 30% of our business comes from um, people that are coming from out of town. So I, I happen right. to know that this is, um, you know, when you have somebody here for a couple of days, you know, your job is to acquaint them in the market area and to be able to tell them about what the what the uh, solid areas are, right? That's correct. Yeah. And, you know, in the good old days when somebody would come on a buying trip for three days, there was the initial sticker shock, but now it's sticker shock and our competing market. And then oh, well, the price I'm seeing is not the price I'm paying. I have to pay more. Yeah. Um, there are softer areas in greater Victoria and the West, Western communities um, and Souk. You know, people are heading out that way for more affordability. Yeah. Um, but uh, the everybody, you know, wants to stay in town. There's a majority of people that are willing to do the commute um, for the affordability. But... It's very few and far between. As, well, and things yeah. might change if this rail uh, goes through, as they've, they've announced recently. Uh, we'll see, yeah. Tony. <laughs> so uh, we're here with Angie Hill from Remax Camosun, who is a buyer agent and helps people in their home uh, buying uh, process. So, you know, you mentioned a moment ago about uh, the Western communities. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've seen dramatic escalation in areas like um, uh, South Oak Bay, Oak Bay, uh, Fairfield, um, Saanich East, 
Gordon Head especially, right? Greater Victoria, period, you know, in you, that sense. And you mentioned um, the West Shore. So a lot of people have noted that West Shore uh, doesn't, has not necessarily increased to the same level as, as uh, Core Victoria has. So what's your take on that? Correct. Um, especially, you know, because of the new construction heading out that way. It's where our land is. It's the affordable land. It's the affordable build. You can get more density out that way. I'm sure Mike can pipe in on that later, but uh, definitely it's more affordable. But with that said, um, they definitely have the commute to think about. Yeah. Um, so if your budget is 500000 that can get you a home in West Shore. Mm-hmm. Um, that cannot get you a home in Greater Victoria. Yeah. Uh, so people are torn with the idea, do I want a home or do I want uh less time commuting Um, and that's where our strata situation is becoming more visible of an increase in town where people that can't afford a single family home now are switching to strata. Well, so, so basically we're, we're becoming like a bigger town because when you think mm-hmm. about, for instance, Vancouver, it's the same story because it's higher density in the, in the downtown core region and you need to go further out if you want, uh, if you want that house with a yard, right? Exactly. But, but the other thing that, uh, that we should mention as well, though, too, is that um, Langford has a 15-year build-out. So, you know, one of the things that we have bumped into is people who have purchased in the West Shore um, and when it comes time for them to resell in three or five years, there's always the specter of having to compete with yet more new inventory, right? That's right. Now, you don't bump into that in Opey. No. Right? You don't <laughs> no, bump you into don't. that in, in the uplands, no. right? So that is, I mean, that's good and bad. So there's yes. there's opportunities in the West Shore. But on the other hand, you know, because you had just mentioned about um, uh, areas that have best chance for growth. Yeah. Uh, it's a factor, right? And definitely educating the buyer as to, yes, you can get more of a home out in the Western communities. I'm a big fan of the Western communities. It's very young family. They have so many amenities. But if your plan is only a two to four year plan, uh, two to four years, there's still going to be... Um, building and massive amounts of build. So you will always be competing with a a new product. So what's going to be the new thing? Exactly. And so when you go to resale in two years, are the prices going to be uh, reflecting on on that? Would you want a used product or a new product? And most people go with a new product and the prices are the same. Good point. Okay. So, um, Really quickly, Angie, you're a buyer agent. People ask you the question, why, why are you just a buyer agent? Why why aren't you like most other agents take care of sellers and uh, administration and paperwork and marketing, all that kind of stuff? Well, why? Yeah, great question. I'm asked that, uh, you know, numerous times. And my, my answer is always the quality of care I want to give my clients. Um, you know, when they come into town, I want to be able to um, give them my 110% um, and, you know, walk them through the process. Not that another agent couldn't do that. It's just I don't want to be spread thin personally. Um, and we have a great team that uh, that can do, specialize in other things. Um, and that's what Tony does. He does the <laughs> listings and I work with all you know our buyers well that sounds like a little commercial yeah you know, well anyways but the main thing is as, as a buyer specialist because you're looking out for the best interest of your buyer mm-hmm. you are not burdened with having also to deal with sellers in the background and having and it's a very interesting time right now as well because the the messages between working for a seller and working for a buyer are very different 
Completely. Yeah. Yes. So so it's an interesting time in real estate. I'm here with Angie Hill from Remax Camosun. Angie, if people need to get a hold of you, uh, how do they do that? They can give us a call at our office, 250-380-7788. 370. 370. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Anyways, or, you know, an email, Angie at TonyJoe.ca. That's great. Well, thanks. That's Angie Hill with Remax Camosun talking about working with buyers. We're going to take a quick little break here, and when we come back, we're going to have a candid conversation with local developer Mike Miller. This is the Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. We're here talking about properties in Victoria. I have the pleasure right now of having with me one of Victoria's most prolific developers. Uh, Mike Miller started Abstract Developments uh, back in 1999. Uh, he is known for his product, his uh, thoughtfulness uh, in design, uh, and a lot of the work that he's done, not just in great, not just in Victoria, the city of Victoria, but in greater Victoria in general. Uh, from the Abstract Developments website, which you, of course, might want to visit, a couple of things uh, that are mentioned here, Abstract Developments, um, their, their mandate is to create iconic spaces that enhance how people live uh, and developing community-minded developments. Mike, thanks for coming. Thank you, Tony. So, uh, Mike... Tell us a little bit about your background. How, how did Abstract Developments come to be, and and um, how how did it happen? Well, that wasn't our story. This wasn't the first time I've been asked this question. Um, Abstract Developments was founded in 1999, and how it became was um, very organically. So um, I was I was actually training to be a chef uh, for a number of years, and I always had a interest uh, in in the greater Victoria real estate. And I remember as a, as a young fella seeing the market ch changing. I'm, do you remember those, uh, those thick books that used to come out every the MLS week? catalog. Yeah. That's right. So, so I, you know, I've had a keen interest in it and I, and I remember seeing how, 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 how dynamic the Victoria real estate market was. And then of course, many years later, sort of understanding, uh, BC particularly, but, um, but, I was uh, trained to be a chef, and I and I always wanted to own a home. So I remember on my nineteenth birthday, literally to the day, I marched into to the bank and I I slapped down a deposit and wanted to buy a home. And the bank manager said, "You're you're too young to buy a home." And I was nineteen <laughs> years old, so it was a number of years ago. And and I thought I'll be back. So um, one year later, I came back again and bought my first home um, by age twenty. And then went on to buy my second home by age 22, and so on and so on. So it was it was um, it was more just around passion, interest, and um, um, I was in a career currently at the time that did not have a um, any kind of um, pension. So this was kind of my my uh, my grand pension idea. Yeah. Now, and and you also, I mean, early on, you did you did a couple of house flips too, did you not? Well, you know, so I what I did was I I I, I in my early twenties, graduated from from being a chef into auto body. Actually, so that was my number two career. Uh, I actually have my ticket in auto body painting. I'm not sure if I would be grandfathered still or not, yeah. but uh, but started um, doing um, renovations for people. Actually, I started a quasi. Uh, proprietorship company uh, that I enjoyed. I kind of helped people with their basement suites or kitchens, and I just did it on you know on weekends and at nights for fun. And uh, so it slowly went from there into 
buying more homes, um, putting more suites in them until I sort of ran out of, of equity and came to a grinding halt. And that's when I started um, Abstract Developments in 99. That was the first project I did um, for the purpose of resale, so speculative development. And what was your first development? Uh, it was actually on the corner of a newly created road, uh, Cedar Hill and Hipwood Lane. I remember. It was a, a three-unit yes. character conversion that yeah. I did, uh, and um, and I did it all. I did the, the demo, the framing. In fact, at the time, in July 1999 was the year that um, they announced that all people that built new homes in BC had to be registered Correct. or you'd only allowed one every 18 months. So I had to register and I had a heck of a time getting registration without being full-time. So still painting cars full-time and building. And that was my first project. It was a three-unit character conversion plus a small lot rezoning. Yeah. You know, we're going to talk about this a little bit later as well too, but when you think about uh, even, some, I mean, you do, you do much bigger developments now, but even a small three-unit there, there had to be a lot of risk there. Like there was a chance that you were not going to succeed. Risk is an interesting word. Um, I mean, yes, I'm definitely in a risky business and I'm happy to talk about the various types of risks because there's risks that a lot of people don't really understand in this business. But um, but as far as the, the whole risk around speculative development, I consider them educated decisions mm-hmm. uh, more than I am about, you know, about risk. If you, you have to kind of understand your customer, because that's really what it's all about, and then and then um, and then balance all the risks and rewards, and then um, and then believe in what you do. Okay, so let's talk about Hipwood then. Again, a little three uh, uh, lot strata. I mean, did you did you know who your customer was at that point? Uh, not really. Yeah. <laughs> Back then, no. I, yeah. In fact, I remember a a uh, you know we I just I just enjoyed the process and I didn't I did a lot by instinct. Now we do a lot by by data, yeah. and then of course with instinct and data, I think we're that much more um, effective. Um, but. Back then, I just took uh, the idea of, of you know a house move, house lift, which a lot of people did not want to tackle um, because it's 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 highly labor intensive, and that was a way for me to build sweat equity. Yeah. Um, so you know, I wasn't we definitely weren't as sophisticated as we are now with how we target our markets. Well, it's amazing, you know, when you think about it, it's o- it's only been about eighteen years now, but since then, you have been involved in. Uh, 65 developments, right? And about 500 units, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, somewhere around that. I, I actually, I don't. I, I should probably know this better. I don't. <laughs> I don't keep track. And I think that you know, without sounding um, elusive, it's just that's not really what it's all about for me. It's not all about the money. It's not all about you know the notoriety. It's all about the passion. I really, truly enjoy being involved in residential primarily residential real estate in greater Victoria and what, and what I can, and, and sort of the mark I can leave in a, in a small way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're here with Mike Miller from abstract developments. Um, you know, one of the things that, that, that people bump into, I guess, in a small marketplace like Victoria is, uh, development has its challenges and you're faced with challenges on a, on a regular basis. Um, tell us about your experience with the challenges you faced with doing developments? Well, uh, there's, so there's, there's multitude, multitude of risks. You know, there's, there's, there's financial risk, there's construction risk, there's market risk, and then there's approvals risk. So, so there's multiple uh, uh, risks. And of course, in, in each market cycle and in each municipality, there's different levels of each one. So, you know, I, it's obviously easy to reflect what's currently on, on my mind. The, the sellability side of the market 
uh, is not as risky right now. Um, historically, um, I mean, in Vancouver, we all see these ads how, you know, people will launch a 400-unit tower or 200-unit building and they'll sell out in a weekend. Yeah. They have lineups. Like yeah, people, exactly. Yeah. So so the velocity is not the same as it is in Victoria. A good quality multifamily building is about 66% sold on completion. That's an average for Victoria. So, so you know, in, in some cycles, we've seen buildings, Tony, and I'm sure you have as well, where um, the unfortunate story is there's little to no sales at completion and then and then it's um and then the project gets stigmatized mm -hmm. and you know i've seen that with some of my competitors and i'm quite um you know i i feel quite badly for that other times there's been great success stories so currently right now i'd say the biggest risk um is is around um you know the, uh, a lot of well established communities and 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 how how the official community plans impact those communities because we talk about affordability but then the unfortunate part is is nobody wants density near them so mm -hmm. how do we accomplish affordability and growth because the people are going to keep coming yeah. uh, we talk about where they're coming from and they're coming from Alberta or Toronto they're generally uh, quite often downsized or they're or they're still working remote the those cities uh or or calgary or you know you know saskatoon those are those are um uh wealth created uh, cities whereas victoria struggles on their on their job creation and their economic side of the, of the equation albeit you know the tech sector and hospitality is starting to pick up now but but it's not a it's not a big city as far as income goes you well know, a lot of it's and government. the other thing too because you know you just mentioned saskatoon and calgary of course the other thing too is as cities like that grow they just open up the property limits and they start building we can't do that here to right totally and then and then i think you know we talk about about the housing pressure but then we we neglect to to acknowledge that we're living in probably the best city in Canada, if not one of the best in North America or the world, for that matter. So, so how do we how do we on balance allow the city to grow and allow the charm to remain, but at the same token, um, keep affordability and 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 allow people in our in our own community to downsize or first time buyers, uh, well, people from out of the city are coming in. To, to buy properties and, as Angie uh, said earlier, outbid them. Yeah. So you can't really have it all. Yeah, how true. We're here with Mike Miller from Abstract Developments. Uh, we're discussing uh, the development process, and we'll get into affordability as well, too. Uh, we're going to take a quick little break right now, and we'll be back in just a few moments. Thank you for joining us. This is The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe. With me today is a developer who's shaping the community of Greater Victoria. It's Mike Miller from Abstract Developments. Uh, just before the break, uh, we started talking about affordability. Um, so tell us your thoughts, Mike. I mean, obviously your products are uh, higher-end products. You know, you're, you're, you're selling developments that are um, ones that, you know, your, your taste and design, your style... People know there's a specific signature that Abstract uh, Developments has. Um, it's almost like there's a secret sauce of some sort. I mean, I think other developers uh, have tried or, or, or tried to duplicate this, and yet nobody seems to have, have been able to do so. What, what do you think that is? What's the secret sauce? Unless um, you don't want to tell us. <laughs> I did work at Kentucky Fried Chicken early <laughs> on in my career, too, so okay. I have a couple of secrets now. Um, I would say it's... it's um, for one, it's passion. So if you can get passionate about something in life, I think it helps a lot. Um, we, we have an excellent team that we've been able to build over the last number of years. Um, but I really try to do 
a, a product or a design that that I could be or sorry that I could live in. Yeah. So so I do treat it like a like it's my own. Um, I do listen to what the buyers want. So that's where I spoke earlier about understanding the buyer's needs, and I'm sure you guys can test that. Mm-hmm. And then and then taking what the buyer wants with with what we feel um, are proud to to bring to the community. And then, and then maybe a little touch of innovation in there, mm-hmm. so so that we can listen and go, ha, you know, because that's really what it's about: identifying what the customer wants before the customer even really knows it for themselves. So yeah. we're t- constantly trying to 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 use that model and break into new ground all the time. Well, I definitely know that about you because one of the things that that you do commonly do is you reach out to the real estate community and you you'll ask questions about what people are looking for. You know, what what is a saleable? What makes something more saleable? What makes something more attractive? Uh, and that's great. You know, you, you reach out to the community. Yeah. Well, a number of years ago when I worked with Mark Lawless as my agent, um, he would give me great feedback and, you know, it's kind of tough love, but what I found, and he said this, that a lot of, a lot of, um, buyers or, or, or customers won't tell me really what they want or, or, you know, for fear of hurt my feelings, that's sort of the Canadian way. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would say it's wonderful, but in the end, I want to know what we're doing wrong because it's easy to find out what we're doing right. Um, but I want to know what we're doing wrong. Um, you know, Canadians want to just sweep it under the rug. We want to know so we can better, constantly better our products. So I now reach out to, and, you know, get 360 feedback from our customers and reach out to people in the industry, such as yourself, that are, that are clearly um, connected with buyers. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the front line, definitely. Correct. Yeah. So let's get, let's get back to talking about the community. Uh, what does Victoria look like to you 25 years from now? I think it's exciting. I think we, we have so many good things going for us. I think we're really truly in the tipping point between um, having a downtown um, that was heavily focused in retail and in, and in industry at one time and, and office and getting that critical mass downtown for residential. I think we're, I think we're uh, very close to getting that. And I think that will make our downtown in our own uh, unique way, similar to that, that we, that you, that we um, covenant about Vancouver downtown, yeah. which is, which in my Walk, mind is like a, walkable cities. Yeah. And... Walkable cities. I mean, we have so much to do within a, within a five minute walk. Um, so I think the downtown is, is, is at a point where we're just going to tip it to, to an actual living community. Um, as far as these, you know, these outlying areas, I'll speak to more greater Victoria right now. I think, um, I think affordability is going to be a challenge. I think there, there needs to be a bit of a mindset shift too, where we need to kind of let our claws off the single family, uh, you know, identifying as a home. I think a home can come in a multitude of ways. It can come as a, as a, as a renter. It can come as a condominium owner mm-hmm. or a townhouse owner or, you know, lakefront or on and on As and on. opposed to the, the traditional de- uh, definition, it, which is a house on a piece of land. Exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think there, I mean, in Vancouver, as we well, well know, they will not, they have a mandate to not create new lots in uh-huh. Vancouver proper. So I think, I think the challenge is 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 we want to maintain affordability, but hang on to the single family lifestyle, but but um, understand our limitations around economics in the city. There there's a lot going on at at, at once that is going to be unachievable till we really understand and identify all the moving parts. Yeah, we're here with Mike Miller from Abstract Developments. So talking about Vancouver, I mean, they are innovative in many ways. I mean, they've implemented things like uh, laneway housing, right? Of course, that's a little bit difficult here because we don't have a lot of lanes in, uh, in Victoria. Um, but uh, increasing density, uh, density for sure. 
What are what are some of the challenges? Um, for instance, what's been your biggest struggle as a developer here? Um, well, one of the biggest uh, challenges in Victoria is market absorption. So any new product, as, as I said earlier, absorbing the product into the market in a reasonable timeline so you can redeploy the capital into another project, um, that's a real challenge. Um, and then the other biggest challenge we're facing right now is is doing um, following the guidelines of the official community plans and and educating um, communities on what that really means, mm-hmm. and and in, you know we you know we talk about how much we love Cook Street Village or Oak Bay Village, uh, or you know Cadbury Bay Village for that matter, but yet who's going to support that retail? Because those home the, those sort of owner occupier businesses they can't compete with the Walmart of the world, so they need to have a uniqueness about them. Mm-hmm. But they also need a critical critical mass in the area to support their economics because people are not going to. Generally speaking, I, I believe travel from from Langford to go into Oak Bay to use the village. Yeah. So we need to support that within the village to it offsets the travel time to the Costco's and the Walmarts and stuff like that. So actually, this is an important point because, as you mentioned a couple minutes ago, uh, Vic- downtown Victoria is seeing this growth. I was at the uh, Real Estate Expo uh, last week. Uh, and Mayor Helps was talking about the fact that statistically there's over 5,000 uh, newcomers to the city of Victoria, and yet there is only 2,800 new units uh, built at the same time. So the, the demand is outstripping the, the supply that we have. And, and going back to the fact that as there is more development in an area like downtown Victoria, there requires more, is, it does require more amenities because people want to be able to go shopping for groceries and Correct. you know getting their, uh, their daily needs. It's so funny because when I think about it, because I'm, I'm, I'm born and raised here as well too. Um, not that long ago, there there weren't these amenities in downtown no. Victoria, no. and and uh, as a result, they they have to be now. So just like what you were talking about, the the villages need to be to be uh, to be there for the, the the neighbors, right? Yeah, because it's not just about putting density downtown in high rise development. It's about putting modest density. Uh, in you know in neighboring areas adjacent to downtown Fairfield Rockland um, and then and then other areas near uptown and things like that so you got to densify near the core to take advantage of transportation uh, amenities and things like that and then of course as you transition further and further out it's almost like a radius you can draw a bigger line and then and then as you transition to more uh, single-family development but allowing multitude of different housing types for people that want to downsize that have little or no choice but also allowing um, more uh, affordable uh, home ownership or home rentership in areas that are primarily single family, say near near amenities that will allow younger people, for example, to use those amenities too and, and get, uh, let's say, younger people that can't afford to buy a single family in Oak Bay, but they could afford to buy a townhome in Oak Bay mm-hmm. and letting their kids go to a school that is otherwise being pushed out by the cost of single family. Yeah, important point. Now you've mentioned here affordable affordable homes. What's your definition of affordable home? What does that look like? Well, um, in our own small way, we've launched a new company called Envision uh, uh, Properties uh, with an N, uh, not an E, and that's our that's our uh, our community contribution back to Greater Victoria, where our mandate is to build 300 uh, purpose-built rental units for 300 market-built rental units. Sorry, market-built homes by abstract. So we're trying to do a one-to-one ratio. Affordability <clears throat> is an interesting topic, and and in my view, the the thing that's unsaid is the cost of land is X, and the cost of construction is Y. And on a rental basis, which I think a lot of people, when they think about affordability, they think about rental sh- rentalship, but there is ownership as well. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is you either have to uh, 
build it in some way subsidized, either subsidized with with you know with cash contribution or subsidized by way of density to buy down the land value, because it's unlikely to expect that the construction industry will build them cheaper. Now, there's obviously little little give and takes along the way, but if but there's a dynamic difference between the cost of land and building, and and making it work from a rental side. So so it's really the best thing we can do, Tony, is is wait around for the province to subsidize, which in, in a turn is just the taxpayers. It's a roundabout way of just saying let's sure. get the taxpayers. That's where pay it comes for it. from. Yeah. Exactly. So we talk about the province like it's this invisible body, but it's really us paying for it. Or we can we can allow uh, more density in areas because it's supply and demand. So if developers will continue to build rental homes and 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 homes for people to buy what that will do is it will keep inventory up, it'll keep pressure down, and it'll, it'll have to put downward pressure on pricing. Yeah. Well, when, it, and it's, it's that whole housing uh, continuum, right? Exactly. So, so it's all the way all the way from the, the very most modest of housing all the way up to the luxury homes. Like there's so many different steps in between there, right? Co- correct. So, so most, most logically, a brand new rental home will likely come to market. It'll be more expensive than that of a used home. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. But what it does do is it puts the pressure downward. So if a person can move up to, a, let's say, a, a two-bedroom for $1,500, that means that second-hand or five-year-old two-bedroom now is not worth $1,500. It's worth $1,300. That means the 1300 is worth 1100 yeah. and then so what it does is puts downward pressure and then of course the other thing that is that is a big challenge and i don't really have any answers for it is is sort of income you know we are a provincially uh our our biggest employer is the province mm-hmm. and the challenge is is, is is that's not likely to change incomes dramatically yeah. yet housing pressure keeps going up so we have to be logical to the to, or sorry um uh, astute to the fact that that our incomes are are likely not going to change at the pace. So the only thing we can do is create more homes. Yeah, it's all about supply. It's all about supply. Yeah, and and you know, obviously, of course, the government recently has tried to hamper this by applying taxes to uh, to foreign investment. That's a whole other story altogether. We don't have time for that today. No, that's that's a that's a big topic. <laughs> yeah, but uh, definitely. So the question is supply, and you know, is, is there a secret there? Like what? What does the city or what does Greater Victoria need to do in order to see more affordable housing? I would say um, uh, make way for the official community plan. Every community should embrace it, understand it, see what's in it for them, and 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 sort of accept it. And look at the density that's been set forth by the various municipalities based on the regional growth strategy. And then if somebody does have a rental project that they're willing to put forward, um, make some you know, pave the road, a faster approval process, look at, look at uh, CAC contributions, anything creative to make way for somebody that's willing to put their, you know, their investment forward on a purpose-built rental building and, 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 and they're willing to invest, you know, in that, in that perpetuity for that community. So make way for that. So what I'm hearing from you is be creative. The situation requires creativity. Yeah, and unfortunately, it comes back to the same old thing. You're not going to be able to keep everybody happy. It's it's really not about, <clears throat> you know, it, it you know any development will impact the immediate neighborhood or a community. But this is a this is a regional challenge for us. It's not you know we're not the only city in it. But unless we all accept it, and and I think the younger generation does, and they see the, and they see the value of it. We talk about buildings redevelopment is a negative but yet people make community buildings don't so the so within so, wow. reason if the more people come to a community i see that as a value so important well thanks for being here mike mike miller from abstract developments mike how do people get in touch with you um the website 
I try. I try to hide. No. Uh, yeah, we have a, a, a office phone number is two five zero eight eight three five five seven nine, or our website is abstractdevelopments.com. Well, yeah, so much great information. Of course, we had Angie Hill with us as well too. Angie from Remax Camosun. Angie, how do people get in touch with you? Through our office uh, at 250-370-7788 or email is great at angie at tonyjoe.ca. You've been listening to The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe talking all things real estate. We'll be here uh, for our next segment next Saturday. And you can always visit us on cfax1070.com. The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. 